This morning on the second Sunday of Advent, we are continuing our sermon series, Preparing for Christmas, as we look at the life and ministry of John the Baptist. And it's an opportunity for us to prepare our own hearts as we uh, await the coming of Christ, not only at Christmas, but also in Christ's second coming as well. Um, our series continues with the birth of John the Baptist. Our scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 57, 57 through 66. I invite you to stand as we hear God's word this morning. When the time came for Elizabeth to have her child, she gave birth to a boy. Her neighbors and relatives celebrated with her because they had heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. On the eighth day, it came time to circumcise the child. They wanted to name him Zechariah because that was his father's name. But his mother replied, No, his name will be John. They said to her, None of your relatives have that name. Then they began gesturing to his father to see what he wanted to call him. After asking for a tablet, he surprised everyone by writing, His name is John. At that moment, Zechariah was able to speak again and began praising God. All their neighbors were filled with awe, and everyone throughout the Judean highlands talked about what had happened. All who heard about this considered it carefully. They said, What then will this child be? Indeed, the Lord's power was with him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Last week, the angel Gabriel gave Zechariah the news that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a child who would be named John. And this child would be the forelong-told prophet who would prepare the way for the Messiah. And after hearing this amazing announcement, Zechariah is a little skeptical, to say the least. Um, he asks the angel, how can this be? How can this happen? My wife and I are very old. He has these doubts. He has a hard time believing this miraculous news. Even though he's staring an angel of the Lord in the face, he still is doubtful. And I think if we're being honest with ourselves, we all struggle with doubt from time to time. In fact, doubt, I would say, is a really important part of our Christian journey. The author and theologian Frederick Buechner once said that doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. I love that quote uh, because I think too often doubt is contrasted with faith. Uh, we, we see them as opposites. We don't think that they always belong together. But in this quote, Buechner is suggesting that our doubts don't hinder our faith. Instead, our doubts help inform our faith. Our doubts help us to grow our faith. It's in asking those questions and it's in exploring our doubts that we discover a deeper understanding of God. And in his doubt, Zechariah is ultimately able to discover his faith on a deeper level. But before Zechariah can come to that deeper level of understanding, the angel Gabriel gives Zechariah some much needed time of silent reflection. In response to Zechariah's question of doubt, the angel Gabriel curtly responds, I am Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news to you. Know this, what I have spoken will come true at the proper time. But because you didn't believe, you will remain silent, unable to speak until the day when these things happen. So because of Zechariah's, I think, very reasonable question of doubt, 
Zechariah is struck silent. He's unable to speak. Here we have a preacher who can't preach. I can't think of a worse punishment. I mean, I don't know, maybe this morning y'all are thinking that punishment might not be so bad. But I'm like, That's, that'd be terrible. But it's not just that Zechariah can't preach. He also can't tell the people about this amazing spiritual experience that he had just had in the temple. He can't tell the people about how he was selected in, in honor to go and burn incense in the temple. And while he was in there, he had this amazing encounter with the angel of the Lord, Gabriel. And the angel told him this amazing news that he and his wife would become pregnant, even though they were an advanced age, they were old. He can't tell them about this amazing news that that child will be the one who will pave the way for the Messiah. Zechariah had just experienced the most incredible spiritual encounter in his lifetime. And all the people are waiting outside the holy place. And when it comes time for him to, to, to go out of the room, he can't share the news with them. He can't say anything. I'm reminded of the, the quote that is often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Zechariah doesn't have the words. How do you explain the inexplainable? Sharing the gospel requires us to speak words, to use our words, but words without action are meaningless. But by the end of the story, Zechariah will be able to share words of prophetic poetry. But in the meantime, Zechariah is only able to make a gesture to notify the people that he had received this vision of the Lord. He doesn't have the words. He can just make this gesture to, to share that the Lord had had this encounter with him and that he is unable to speak. In fact, he won't be able to speak for the next nine months. And I think that leads us to ask the question, why would God give Zechariah this punishment? Well, maybe this isn't really meant to be a punishment after all. Perhaps this is God's way of asking Zechariah to talk less and to listen more. Perhaps this is not so much a, a punishment as it is an invitation to stop, to reflect, and to see how God is working through these miraculous pregnancy. It's an invitation, as the psalmist says, to be still and know that I am God. In his book, Preparing the Way for the Lord, which I'm kind of using as inspiration for this series, the Reverend Adam Hamilton explains the importance of silent reflection. He says this, Silence is an expression of awe and worship that is an appropriate response to the glory of God. It is in silence that we can hear God speak. Do you take enough time for silence? Do you ever turn off the noise, the radio, the television, your phone and computer and just listen for God to speak? You know, being silent is not something that we often do in our busy and noisy world, especially in this season as we prepare for Christmas. But perhaps this Advent season, God is inviting us to embrace the silence, to close our lips, to open our ears so that we can listen for the ways that God might be speaking into our, our lives, so that we can see the ways that God is working in our world. Maybe we need to take time in our schedules to turn off our TVs and our radios, our phones, our computers, and just sit in the silence and listen for the ways that God might be speaking to us. 
Once Zechariah finishes his priestly service in the temple, he goes home. And he somehow tries to explain to his wife, Elizabeth, what is about to happen to her. We, we think that Elizabeth could read, so Zechariah probably just wrote it down to tell her. But I like to think that uh, they played the world's most interesting game of Pictionary, or maybe charades. And Zechariah notifies his wife what is about to happen about this pregnancy. And soon after that, Elizabeth discovers that she is indeed pregnant. But we're also told that Elizabeth goes into seclusion for the first five months of her pregnancy. All the while, Zechariah is still unable to speak. This couple has completely closed themselves off from their neighbors, their friends, their relatives. They are in seclusion. They are silent. They are hidden away from society. Maybe they're fearful of having a miscarriage or being judged for having a baby at such an advanced age. And I'm sure that they were full of questions like, how are we going to have a baby? How are we going to have the energy to chase around a toddler? Why? Why now? Why, after all of these years, would God give us a baby now? I wonder if their fears overshadowed their joy. During Elizabeth's pregnancy, no one knows that she's with child. She hides herself from the world, removed from the stares and glares of society. And then, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Mary, Elizabeth's relative, finds herself in a very similar predicament. She too finds herself pregnant through miraculous means. Mary's not old like Elizabeth, but she is a virgin. And that same angel, Gabriel, that appeared to Elizabeth and told her about the news, told Zechariah the news of Elizabeth's pregnancy, now tells Mary about her pregnancy too. Except this time, Mary is told that her child will be the Son of God. This will be the child that Elizabeth's son will prepare the way for. John will be born and pave the way for Mary's son, who will be named Jesus. When Mary hears uh, the angel's news, about Elizabeth, she immediately goes to the Judean highlands. She goes to Mary, or Zechariah and Elizabeth's home. After about seven or eight days, she arrives at their, at their house. She finally reaches their, their home. And, and when Mary greets Elizabeth, something incredible happens. Elizabeth's child leaps with joy inside her womb. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what the angel Gabriel had promised, that before their child was, would even be born, that the Holy Spirit would fill this child. And that promise comes true at the very sound of Mary's voice. Elizabeth goes on to bless Mary. She says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. From that very moment that Mary walked into the door, Elizabeth knew and recognized that this child in Mary's womb was the Son of God. She proclaimed Jesus as my Lord before he was even born. 
that's a really incredible moment considering that this probably gave Mary the affirmation that she was desperately needing. Elizabeth was essentially corroborating the angel's story. Elizabeth is essentially telling Mary that she is truly carrying the son of the Lord God Most High. The angel was, in fact, telling the truth. I can just imagine Mary's sigh of relief when she hears Elizabeth's words. Mary had been hiding the secret, too. She was scared. She was afraid. She was anxious. And before she even had a chance to try to explain to Elizabeth what was going on, Elizabeth shows Mary that she already knows her secret. She already knew. And Elizabeth is actually filled with joy on Mary's behalf. Her beloved relative believes this miraculous story of a virgin conception. She believes this totally unbelievable story. And what I love about this part of the story is that Mary was able to reach out to Elizabeth and Elizabeth was able to reach out to Mary. They were able to encourage one another and share with one another. In fact, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for the next three months. During this time, they shared in their joys and in their fears. They shared in their hopes and their dreams. They shared in their lives together. And I think all of us need somebody like that in our lives. We need somebody who can, we can share our lives with. We need somebody who understands what we're going through. We need somebody that can encourage us and lift us up. And so this morning, I want to ask a question. Who is your Elizabeth? Who is your Mary? Who do you go to? for encouragement and comfort and guidance? Who are the people in your life that have helped mold and shape you into the person that you are today? And I want us to take just 10 seconds this morning in silence and think about those people in our lives that have made a difference, that have made us the people that we are today. Who are those people? Maybe some of those people are still living. Maybe some of those people have passed on. But these are the people that have made a difference in our lives, that have made us who we are today. And I can imagine that Mary and Elizabeth, if asked that question, would think about each other. Because they have that shared experience. They would have made each other's list of the people that have loved them and cared for them and encouraged them in their lifetime. When it finally comes time for Elizabeth to give birth to her son, she is surrounded by her relatives and neighbors who are all celebrating with her, which, you know, every mother would want, right, when you're giving birth to your child. But Mary was most likely there, too. Mary was most likely there among the relatives and neighbors and friends, it's this wonderful time of, of celebration as they welcome this child into the world. But then an argument breaks out on the eighth day when it comes time to name the child. All the friends, relatives, neighbors are there and they insist that the child should be named Zachariah Jr. after his father. You know, it's tradition. But Elizabeth speaks up and she says, no, no, uh, his name will be John. Remember, Zechariah is still mute. He can't speak. And these neighbors and relatives have the gall 
to argue with the mother. And they say, well, nobody in your family is named, uh, named John. And so then they look over to Zechariah to see what he thinks. They doubt the woman, a thing that we see too often in Scripture. But Zechariah is in agreement with his wife Elizabeth, and he writes on a tablet, the child's name shall be John. And um, John is the name that they give this child, but it's not the name that Zechariah and Elizabeth had chosen. This is the name that God had chosen. The name John in Hebrew is Johanan, which means the Lord is gracious. And this meaning gives us, I think, insight not only to who John the Baptist will be, but also into who God is. God is gracious because God is sending John to prepare the way for the Lord, to invite people to repent and return to God, to bring about forgiveness and healing and restoration. It's a reminder that we are saved by grace through faith. The Lord is gracious. And once Zechariah writes down his son's name on that tablet, that very moment his tongue is loosened and he is able to speak again. And then when the neighbors see this, they are utterly amazed. Luke's gospel says, All their neighbors were filled with awe and everyone throughout the Judean highlands talked about what had happened. All who heard about this considered it carefully. They said, What then will this child be? Indeed, the Lord's power was with him. There's a lot of question, there's a lot of wonder and awe about who this child will be. And this is the question that Zechariah answers as he is filled with the Holy Spirit. After not being able to speak for nine months, Zechariah has a lot that he wants to say. He begins to proclaim this special prophecy about his son, John the Baptist, and about this coming Messiah. And here's just a portion of what Zechariah says. Bless the Lord God of Israel, because he has come to help and has delivered his people. You, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. You will tell his people how to be saved through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's deep compassion, the dawn from heaven will break upon us to give light to those who are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide us on the path of peace. This prophetic message captures what Advent is all about. John the Baptist is preparing the way for Christ to come into our lives. Jesus will come to forgive us of our sins, to bring about compassion, to bring light into a dark world. John has come to pave the way for Jesus, to come into our lives, to come into our hearts. So as we think about this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary, think about how they encouraged each other. How can we go out and offer encouragement and guidance for our friends and family? How can we go forth by loving God and our neighbor? How can we go out and share the peace of Christ in this church, in this community, and in this world? Amen. Now I invite you to turn in your hymnals to page 12, page 13, as we share in the great thanksgiving.
The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Almighty God, Creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets, who look for that day when justice shall roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, when nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so...